Good morning. Greetings to each of you in Jesus' name this morning. This morning, if you'd like, I'm not going to read this right away, but you can turn to Genesis 4 if you'd like, just so you're there. Those where we find the first verses that I'll read this morning. For our message this morning, I'd like to talk about a subject that might be a little more unusual, or on the surface it might seem a little more unusual. And in some ways it's maybe a little more negative than some. But you know, a lot of times we need to look at the negative so that we can embrace the positive. So this morning, my subject is that this isn't my, my message title, but uh, my subject is that of hate or hatred. My message title that I put down is actually hatred versus love and forgiveness. This subject has been on my mind recently because I've been impressed more all the time that we live in a world where people are controlled by hatred. And I think we know what hate or hatred is, but I'd like to give a definition here at the beginning so we have a little bit of a basis for what we're talking about. This is from Merriam-Webster. Hate is an intense hostility and aversion, usually deriving from fear, anger, or sense of injury. So hate is, is hostility or aversion, too. It's... it's Something we hate, we are opposed to it. We want to avoid it. But there's something else in that definition that I found interesting, and that is it tells us what the cause is. It's usually derived from fear, anger, or a sense of injury. And I found that interesting. Something that we fear, we hate. Some people here, I'm sure, hate snakes because they have a fear of them. And so they have developed a hatred. Or it's because of anger. Something happens that makes you angry about something and it de develops into hatred. But the last cause that that definition gives is one that I think that we need to think about long and hard. And that is a sense of injury. You know, that is a definition of, of what, what hatred comes from that really, to me, hits home. When something happens to you where you feel like you were wrong, you have a sense of injury, often you will, you will have these feelings that start rising up within you that uh, if it's not hatred, it's, it's bordering on that. It's, it's leading to that. And I think we've all, if we're honest, would have to admit that we have struggled with those feelings. 
And I think we also would have to admit that as we look around the world around us, we see this played out again and again. We continually hear of people who display hatred because of some wrong or perceived injury. And then they act upon that hatred in in a terrible way. Just this past week, just a few days ago, the ex-prime minister of of Japan was was assassinated by a man who held a grudge against him. That's just about a three or four, three-day-old, I think, event that displays somebody portraying where hatred leads. We have people who are committing mass shootings because of hatred towards a certain race or towards a certain religion. Or because they feel like in some way they've been wronged by an employer or a co-worker or someone they had a relationship with that didn't work out. And it goes so far as that a while back I heard about a certain sports team whose fans had a reputation of beating up fans of the opposing team in the parking lot of the stadium because they hated them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being so enamored with a a sports team that you would go to the point of physically beating up another human being because they liked a different sports team? And that's a whole different uh, rabbit trail, but that is portrays the danger of us as believers getting entangled in the world of, of spectator sports. That's, that's the, the uh, maybe the, the, the worst it gets, so to speak, but it's, it displays where that type of... Uh, loyalty in our lives, what what it can lead to. Unfortunately, I believe that we're seeing a widespread epidemic of hatred. And I believe it's a result of mankind living for self and turning away from God and His Word. You know, the Scripture you think about it, is full of many examples of hatred. And there's also a lot of teachings that can help us to overcome our tendency to harbor hatred and ill feelings in our hearts. The first example that I think we have of hatred is found here in Genesis 4. And I'd like to read a few verses here. And I want us just to consider some truths from this account. I'd like to read Genesis 4, verses 3 through verse 8. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto him, Cain, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou dost well, shalt thou not be accepted? 
And if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. We'll stop there. It's not the end of this account, but we have the account here that we refer to as the account of Cain and Abel. We're told that these brothers, uh, they were, as brothers sometimes are, I believe they were opposites. Cain was a man who worked the ground, who grew plants of some sort. It doesn't say it may have been grain, vegetables, and fruits. We don't know. And Abel was a man who kept animals. And it says here that there came a time when they both brought an offering to the Lord, some type of a sacrifice. And we don't know, it's not recorded what all they knew and what God had revealed to them about His will and about sacrificing to Him. But what we know is they each brought an offering and they each brought an offering of what they had. Cain brought of the fruit of the ground and Abel brought an offering from the flock. And we also know that God accepted Abel's offering from the from the flock, but he did not accept Cain's offering. And like I said, we don't understand all the reasoning for that, but we do know the fact that, Abel, uh, that Cain's offering was not accepted. And so we see because of this, Cain became angry. And it ended in him murdering his brother. So I want us to consider this a little bit because I think we can see here how unchecked, how these feelings of, of hatred and anger can develop in our lives and lead us in the wrong direction. So in this account between Cain and Abel, Cain's offering not being accepted, who was at fault? I'm not asking for a verbal answer, but think about that. Who was, whose, whose fault was it that Cain's offering was not accepted? It was Cain's fault. You know, maybe we could say possibly, maybe Cain didn't have a, a clear understanding of, of what God accepted. But it was Cain who brought the, the offering. Now, who was, who was Cain angry with? Seems like he was pretty angry at Abel. But I really believe that Cain was angry towards God. Because God had not accepted his offering. So if he was angry towards God for not accepting his offering, why did he act out of hatred towards his brother? Do you ever, do you ever think about that? What did, what did Abel do to deserve being murdered by his brother? All he did is he did what was right. I believe that 
Abel became the target of Cain's hatred and anger because possibly Abel's sacrifice uh, made him look bad. He maybe couldn't understand why uh, it was the way it was and, and he looked bad and so he blamed it on, on Abel. Maybe he felt like that if Abel hadn't made the sacrifice he did, that maybe then God would have accepted his. We don't know. But we do know that it was irrational for him to blame, blame Abel in any way. The issue, the heart of the issue was between Cain and God. Yet Cain made Abel the focus of his hatred and ill will. And I want us to think about that because I want us to realize that a couple of things here. First of all, hatred and anger will keep us from thinking rationally. When we have a perceived wrong or a sense of injury, we tend to look for a convenient target. And that target may not be and possibly often is not the actual cause of the wrong that we perceive. We also need to think about the fact that often when we have these feelings and we feel wronged, the real issue may lie right here with me. That was the case here. The issue was between Cain and his relationship with God. And he refused to address that issue. It was within Cain's power to simply surrender to what God was asking of him. God, God made it clear. He said, uh, in verse 7, If thou dost well, shall thou not be accepted? And I believe God was giving Cain the opportunity and saying, bring me the appropriate sacrifice and I'll accept you as well. But Cain refused to surrender to what God was asking. And I believe that it points out that this issue of, of hatred is rooted in selfishness. Cain didn't want to give up his own selfish notion that my sacrifice that I want to make from the fruit of the ground, he, he was determined that that sacrifice should be acceptable. He was, he was selfishly unwilling to surrender to what God was asking. Maybe he was offended. We don't know all of his feelings. But he refused to submit to what God was asking and he took it out on his brother. So think about it from a rational standpoint. In what way did killing, killing his brother promote Cain's cause. It did nothing 
to change the situation. It made, did nothing to make things better, but it made it a lot worse. We also see that hatred has a progressive action in our thinking. But, uh, and, and maybe I'm imagining a little too much into this account, but I see Cain here realizing that God didn't accept his offering and becoming upset and, and, and angry about it. And then I believe that he dwelled upon that. And God told him what he needed to do, and he just refused. I'm, no, I don't want to do that. I want my offering to be accepted. And I really believe that, that, that he, I don't believe that this all happened in one day. I believe that this, that he brooded over this and it, and it developed and developed in, in, his, in his mind. And you know, Cain couldn't do anything to change God. Cain couldn't do anything to get back at God. So his hatred and his anger had to find another outlet, and it became, Abel became that outlet. And I'm also fairly sure that his original intent, when he realized his offering was rejected, that his original intent probably was not to kill his brother. But I believe that he probably fed on that discontent and those, those feelings of, of anger and, and rejection until murder was the end result. And I think we need to realize that if we don't control the emotion that anger and hatred brings, that it will grow until it expresses, it expresses itself in an ugly way. It might not end up in murder. But if we allow those feelings to grow unchecked in our hearts, it will express itself in an ugly and an unkind way at some point. Hatred is a product of our sinful, sinful nature. And if we don't control it, it will control us. Now moving on a little from the account of Cain and Abel. Scripture does have a good bit to say about our attitudes towards others. And we all know that Jesus commanded us to love one another. And Jesus commanded us that we're to love our neighbors. And he gave us a really good parable for us to help understand who our neighbors are. Do you think that that was a new teaching? Do this or say yes or no. Was that a new teaching when Jesus taught that? See a few tentative no's. Turn to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. This is from the Law of Moses. Verses 17 and 18. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart, 
Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Does that sound pretty New Testament to you all? You know, sometimes we forget that these principles that Jesus was reminding the people of what had already been taught and they were overlooking. Here God commanded that they were to not to hate their brother nor to seek revenge or to hold a grudge, but rather they were to love their neighbor as themselves, just what were commanded in the New Testament. And I do believe that this the way this is written, it was maybe specifically speaking of the, to, the, the, to the children of Israel and their relationship to their fellow Israelites. Because it does say there in verse 17, it speaks of, of thy brother. And so that could be narrowing it down to just their own people. And so I'm not sure if, if God's intent there was specifically to narrow this just to the Israelite nation or not. But the Jewish people in Jesus' time were using this to justify loving their fellow Jew, but hating those who were not Jews. So Jesus took this teaching and expanded it in turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, I'd like to read verse 38 through 48. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever ever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye do more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is, is perfect. Here Jesus is calling us to love those who love us excuse me, calling us not just to love those who love us. He's calling us to love everyone. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but he says we're to love those that hate us, those that would physically harm us in some way, those that would take advantage of us, those of whom we might perceive some wrong that uh, was hurtful. But he goes further. We're not just to love. We're, we're to bless. 
or, or to pray for them, for those that curse us and mistreat us. In this teaching, I don't see any room for Jesus' followers to harbor any hatred or ill feeling in our hearts towards our fellow men. No matter what. We, we like to say, but they did such and such to me. You just don't understand. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't have a clause in here to love unless they did such and such. And you know, we read that, and it might seem, may I should say it does seem, like a high standard that can be almost unattainable. But notice here in these verses who our standard is to be. In verse 45, we're told that we are to do this, that we might be sons of our Heavenly Father. Jesus is setting the Heavenly Father up here as the example of one who loves completely. It says that He makes His Son rise on the evil and in the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. God does so many good things for everybody in the world. Some of us are more blessed than others. But God sends good things to all in some way. And that's not to say that God will not act as judge for those who do wrong, those who disobey Him, but it's to say that in the meantime, He does good because His desire is that mankind would love and serve Him. We also need to remember in Romans 5, 8, we're told that, that God commendeth His love toward us, or He demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You and I need to remember that, that God sent His Son to die for sinful mankind while we were lost in our sins. We had done nothing to deserve His love. We had done nothing to deserve the opportunity to find forgiveness. But God, because of His great love, extended that at the expense of His Son. And that's the kind of love that He is calling His children to. We're called to demonstrate love and mercy to our fellow mankind, just like God demonstrated to us while we were lost in sin. Jesus concludes His teaching there in those verses saying that there's nothing special about loving people that love us back. That's a human, natural human response. That's easy. But we're called to a standard that's so much higher than a human standard. We're called to live according to God's standard. A standard of loving the unlovely. Now, I'd like to ask another question. 
this is maybe a little bit of a trick question. But is anybody brave enough to venture? What is the opposite of hate? Anybody want to venture a guess? What's the opposite? Good, good answer. That was my trick answer. Most people, if you say, what's the opposite of hate? They're going to say love. And that's true. If somebody said love, I was, I was going to say, you're right. But let's look at something else. The opposite of hatred in many ways is forgiveness. When we hate someone, we're holding against them what they have done to us. We're refusing to let go of that hurt. We're maintaining that that hurt. I don't understand the psychological reasoning behind it, but it's like it's like having a bruise on your arm and you want to continually kind of poke it and I guess see if it still hurts. We hold on to these hurts for some strange reason. We have this feeling that, that by doing so that somehow I am holding that person that wronged me accountable or I'm inflicting some kind of hurt back on them somehow. Or we might think thoughts of ill will towards that person. We kind of maybe be a little bit happy if something bad happened to that person. Oh, and you know, we might kind of chuckle at that, but I've been there. I've, I have had those feelings. Oh, uh, you know, we kind of want to get back at them without actually getting our hands dirty. You know, if, if God could just inflict some wrong on them to pay them back for what they've done to me, I would just sit back and smile. That is, that is a, a human reaction but it's not a Christ-like Christian reaction. There are feelings that could be driven by hatred or possibly if we allow those feelings to continue in our life, they, they turn into a hatred. But when we forgive, we release the person who has hurt us. But more importantly, and we, we don't realize this often, but more importantly, when we forgive, we release ourselves from that bondage of harboring those feelings. Heard a story, John D. Martin actually told this story. It was he had heard it from a man that he knew who had a dream. And there was a cage. And in the cage was a man that he had ill feelings towards. And he was walking around the cage poking at this, this man. And the Lord said, open the door and let him out. And he said, no. And he said, open the door and let him out. And after a couple of times, he opened the door and let him out. And he said, you know what came out of the cage? He said, I came out of the cage. And what a picture of, of the bondage that we're in when we do not forgive when we are hurt.
When we forgive, we release ourselves from the bondage of hatred and free ourselves to practice what Jesus was talking about here in Matthew 5, verses 38 through 48. And forgiveness is so critical that in fact, you can turn over to another page in your Bible probably to Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15. Again, very familiar verses where Jesus said, If ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is so critical, so imperative, because Jesus says that if we refuse to forgive, our Heavenly Father is not going to forgive us. And think about it. Why would God extend forgiveness to someone who refuses to forgive an offense that was less than what I have committed against Him? Forgiveness is imperative if we want to be forgiven by God. And it's also imperative if we want to follow the directive of loving all men, even our enemies, as Jesus taught us to. Without forgiveness, we'll never live up to that standard. So how do we live this out in a practical way today? You know, we're pretty good sometimes at talking in theoretical ways of how, well, if such and such happened, this is how I would respond. And those... Those things are nice to talk about, but uh, theoretical things never happen the way we anticipate that they might. And uh, so I don't really get very big into theoretical reasoning. But if we want to live this out, if we want to be prepared to love when we are when we face persecution or some large injustice. I think that we need to begin by living out a life of love and forgiveness now, even in little things that we face in life. I believe that love and forgiveness should be a way of life for us. It should be evident in all areas of life. So think about how you respond if maybe you receive a little bit of a raw end in a business deal. Some of us have been there. How do you respond when somebody cuts you off in traffic? We've all faced that. Some crazy person comes zipping in and cuts in front of you or almost runs you off the road. How do you respond when somebody that's close to you breaks your confidence? You thought that you had shared something in confidence and the next thing you know, you hear it somewhere else. How do you respond when somebody just says something that's pretty unkind about you? See, these are real life things that you and I 
have experienced. I guarantee you, almost every one of you all that are adults have experienced at least probably two or three of those things that I just mentioned. We experience these things, and how we respond is either going to display love and forgiveness, or it's going to dis display an attitude of, of hatred to some degree or another. And I use that term a little cautiously because we all have times that we face some wrong or, or injustice and our tempers flare a little and we respond in a wrong way. And I don't believe that when that happens that it means that we're living a life of hatred. But I do believe that if, if we leave those feelings, if we let those feelings go unchecked, I believe that a life of hatred is where we are heading. It's imperative that we learn to forgive. So this morning, my desire is that we would embrace Jesus' teaching of love and forgiveness and that we would be displaying it not only to those that are close to us, but to the world around us. Because we live in a society where, like I said, it seems like there is an ever-increasing lack of willingness to forgive, willingness to overlook an offense. And we, we decry that tendency in our society and say how awful it is. But you know what? It provides an opportunity for you and I to shine as lights to the world around us when we face these things. And an example of that that I happen to think of last evening or this morning I was thinking about this within the last year year and a half Janet was down here at Costco and had a lady back into her as she was driving through the parking lot that lady has a she has a house here locally down at Quicksburg area and she also has a house in Jamaica I believe it was and she was blown away by a calm response to her backing into a vehicle, she said, in Jamaica, this would have been, no, take it back, it wasn't Jamaica. They'll come to me in a little, maybe. Bermuda, it was Bermuda. She said, this would have been a horrible event. And I was back and forth with her, some on the phone, and we ended up, I was going to get an estimate to see how much it would cost to fix it. She was going to pay for it. I cleaned the van up. It was pretty dirty, and I looked at it, and I went, it's really not worth somebody spending $1,000 or $2,000 to fix this. And I called her up and told her that. And she was just blown away that we didn't make a deal out of it. And I'm not saying that to say we did it all right or to hold us up. But I'm saying it to prove the point that we have an opportunity when these things happen to us. We have an opportunity to display a Christ-like spirit that the world is not used to seeing. Let's be people of love and forgiveness and display Christ's world, Christ's way to the world around us. Not only is it going to display Christ to the world around us, I firmly believe that we'll live lives that are happier and freer than those who refuse to forgive 
those who live a life controlled by hatred, that have that simmering hatred under the surface that's just hindering them from finding peace. So God bless you as you go forth and you live a life of love and forgiveness in a world of hate. May we have a song.